and I'll be reading from Nehemiah 3. And I believe there will be a map behind me so that you can follow along um, and make some sense out of our passage today. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hesanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Baanah, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joeda, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besideah, repaired the gate of Yashana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah the Gibeonite, and Jadon the Maranthite, the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them Uziel, the son of Harhiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them Rephaiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Judea, the son of Haramoth, repaired, opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Heshabaniah, repaired. Melchizedek, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pathamoab, repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Helohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Melchizedek, the son of Rechob, ruler of the district of beth repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kohose, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethsur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Benai. Next to him, Hashabai ruler of half the district of Keilah, repaired for the district. After him, their brothers repaired, Bavay, the son of Henadad, ruler of half the district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Joshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zebaiah, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. 
After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Binui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section, from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palal, the son of Uzay, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower, projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Pideah, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living in Ophel, repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Melchizedek, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, opposite the muster gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's say uh, a special thank you to Catherine for reading all those names. You are a brave soul, and we are grateful for you. Thank you. Uh, we are continuing in our new series in Nehemiah that we're calling A Time to Rebuild. Uh, it's a book about the efforts to rebuild the ruined city of Jerusalem after it was destroyed in 586 B.C. in the Babylonian invasion, which was part of God sending his people, actually, into exile as a tragic consequence for Israel's having lived as those who totally walked away from God. And those who left the nations around them without a witness to who God really is. Now in our book, it's some 140 years later, and the walls are still lying in ruins. And in that ancient time, a city without walls was completely helpless and defenseless. This is 140 years without security or predictability. This is a society, a city, completely broken down. So it was certainly a time to rebuild. For us, likewise, after two plus years of global and societal trials and challenges of all sorts, plus a time of transition here as a church from our past to our future, it's certainly a time for us to rebuild as a people and as a church. And so my hope is that through this book that we will start to focus on ways that we as individuals and that we collectively as a church can rebuild in this time, that we might become once again a refuge as Israel was meant to be for the world around us. Last week, we looked at Nehemiah taking stock of just how bad the city was, how bad things had gotten by getting alone with the problem, is what we talked about, and how he started moving towards rebuilding, once he had done that, by sharing how God had been at work personally in his story. Today, we're going to look at how the people respond to that call, that sharing, to go and fulfill this vision to rebuild the city, and what that reveals about God being at work in their lives and in our lives. So we're going to focus on first noticing the people who work, 
then looking at how they work and what the people and the work reveal. So noticing the people, their work, and what the people and the work reveals about God. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Father, it is our privilege to come before you again, remembering that you are the God who hears prayer, that you hear us even now, that you speak back, that you give us your word to tell us about who you are, to reveal for us what we need for this life as we wait for you. So I pray this morning, Lord, that you would reveal to these hearts what they need as they wait for you. Would you challenge them where they need to be challenged? Would you soften them where they are perhaps hard and need softening? Would you encourage them where they are weak and failing, that most of all they might have you as their good shepherd in their hearts and that they would go as a sheep this morning, part of a flock with a shepherd who will not fail? It's in your son's precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have them open. We are going to go back through the text a little bit. If you don't have one, there should be one in the pew in front of you, or feel free to use your Bible app or to just listen along as we go through. But what you may have noticed in this passage is that there are a lot of details. There are a lot of names, and this is actually unusual in the Old Testament, that one of the things that we can learn as we go back through the Hebrew Scriptures is that when details come out, it's a time to pay attention, that there is something happening there, that at times you could go to Genesis and you could see that the book actually skips like 13 years in Abraham's life, it says nothing, right? But then it focuses in on something that happens. So when we see a block of detail, though our eyes might glaze over if we're not Catherine and unable to read all the names, uh, it is actually a point where we can pay a little more attention and have a curiosity for why are these details here? So I want us to notice in these details the variety of people who worked on the wall. First of all, we actually see that the people who worked on the wall were not just average blue-collar folks, that actually high officials and important people got involved in doing the dirty work of rebuilding a broken-down city. Uh, verse 1 shows us, first of all, that the high priest leads it off. The first person to move, the first person to respond in this rebuilding effort was actually one of the most important people in the entire kingdom of God. He doesn't wait for others to get started. He doesn't wait for the time is right for him to show up in a particular way or to just make kind of a ceremonial appearance. He gets it going first. He doesn't use his place of privilege for himself. He uses his privilege for them to set an example. But we also see not just the high priest of the people of God, we also see government officials. If you look at verses 9, 12, and 14 to 17, you're going to hear this phrase over again, that there was a ruler of the district or a ruler of the half district. These are rulers of various areas in the vicinity of Israel. There's something like mayors of their time. And if we think about mayors maybe in our city or cities, you're not expecting them to show up to a construction project and stay for the whole day. They might send a staffer or a volunteer to represent them, but here the people actually with power, with duties, with responsibilities and privileges show up and put in the work. They were undoubtedly busy, 
busy, excuse me, and yet they make this a priority. There was something about this that was important to them. We also see in verses 1, 17, 22, and 26 that it's not just the rulers, it's not just the high priests, but it's also the religious elites of that time, the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants, those who were who responsible for curating the spiritual life of the people of God, for doing the work of the church. You could say this is something like the pastors and the church staff. They were involved doing this work, though it was not in their job description to rebuild. Okay, so first category we see is people that we might not expect. High officials, those involved in different things, those that have power and privilege that you wouldn't expect to get their hands dirty. But second, we also see that families got involved. Verse 18 says that there was brothers that got to work, whole groups together, daughters rebuilt with their parents, not just men, but women too. Verse 30, not just the oldest, but even sixth sons, says Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, got involved. And I don't know, maybe you are the sixth child in your family. But I want you to see here in this text, the text is helping us see that no matter your gender, no matter your place in the family, whether you are the oldest or the youngest, I want you to see that in the kingdom of God, you have something to offer. There's something meaningful that you can do no matter where you fall in your family, no matter where you fall in the overall scheme of the kingdom of God, you've got a place. You have a job. You have importance. But third, it's not just families and high officials. It's also those of all sorts of careers. Uh, Verse 8 says that perfumers and goldsmiths got involved. Those who might have some skill, maybe for rebuilding, but primarily worked with luxury goods. Verse 32 talks about merchants. We could say businessmen and businesswomen getting involved, professionals, those who had maybe degrees, those who were specialized in certain things, they are all getting involved, whether it's their trade or not. So it seems that it didn't matter if you were important or average, it didn't matter if you were a man or a woman, it didn't matter if you were the oldest or youngest, skilled or unskilled, it didn't matter whether you were a person with obligations and responsibilities, whether you felt like you had all the right answers for the problems or not, whether you felt secure in being there or uncomfortable in being there or not, you were in. You were going to be part of it. You were the people that God was using. It wasn't somebody else. It wasn't just somebody more qualified, more specialized, someone who has a background in this field. You were in. You were going to use what you could to participate. You were the people that God was using, the people through whom God was going to be at work to rebuild. So if you're wondering if you have a place in rebuilding CTK because you're brand new or maybe you've never felt like you're that particularly connected, or you're not really sure what gifts you would offer. Maybe you think someone else might be better suited to the work, that, well, they have an experience in that. They have degrees in that. They've been around longer than I have. Maybe if you're feeling like, 
I'm just sort of the sixth son, right? Like, I'm, I'm not the all-star, I'm not the specialist, I'm just here. I don't know that there's that much I can do. I want you to see that you are the people through whom God will rebuild. We're not waiting on somebody else. This is a call for you. As you are today. And what's interesting is that mayors, priests, merchants, perfumers uh, are not known for their building expertise, and yet this is who God uses to rebuild. The text doesn't give us any indication that this was a mistake on God's part, that this was somehow not part of the plan to use people very likely out of their depth, people with other things on their mind, other priorities, other things they were trying to take care of. It seems surprising to us that God would use people who don't seem qualified, but this is actually the way that God regularly works with his people. It's in fact the way that he always works with his people. He chose Abraham to be a great father in the faith, but he did it when he and Sarah were old and barren, when their bodies, as Hebrews said, were as good as dead. Not when they were qualified to be parents, but when they had no hope of being parents, God chose them. He chose Moses to argue with an emperor and set his people free from cruelty and oppression and slavery when Moses was not in power, but when he was 40 years out of power, wandering, herding goats, when he had a speech impediment and didn't speak that well. God chose him. He chose David to be a king after his own heart when he was the seventh son and the smallest, not the first son and the strongest. He sent Jesus, God the Son, as the Christ, the anointed king, to rebuild the broken down hearts of humanity through what? Through a poor teenage girl's unplanned pregnancy. Through a birth in a dirty cow shed in a rural, remote part of an oppressed people group. Because he doesn't need our strength to do anything. He doesn't need us to be qualified to use us. He doesn't need us to have arrived at a certain place in our lives, in our spiritual maturity, to actually do something through us. He didn't then, he didn't in Nehemiah's time, and he certainly doesn't now. Not with me, not with you. He doesn't need something from us. He doesn't need a particular skill or a particular experience to do something in our time and in our lives. Rather, as Paul tells us in Galatians, Corinthians, Romans, that God's work in our life, his rebuilding of us and our communities comes not by our efforts, but by gift, by a promise when we were weak, not when we were strong. By using the things that the world considers foolish, by using things like a sixth son, a perfumer, someone born from what seemed like an illegitimate teenage pregnancy to change the world. Because God is constantly at work putting the wisdom of this life to shame in order to show us something better than we can figure out on our own. 
something better than just simply what makes sense to me, something that transcends our categories and expectations to show us Jesus, a Savior who would come as truly unexceptional in the eyes of the world at that time, a man who did an ordinary job in uneventful obscurity in a subjugated country for 90% of his life. who had a questionable background if you ask the people that he lived with. This was the surprise of Jesus, that God would use the ordinary, the meek, the meager, the unexciting, even what seems like the shameful and unimpressive, to save the world. Because God rebuilds not with our strength, but with his strength. Not with what I am able to do and figure out. Not with my planning, not with my perspective, not with my particular point of view, but with His, with His ability, with His power, with His grace. He rebuilds not because of me, but even despite me. That's what we see in Jesus coming the way that He did. That's what we see in noticing the way that God uses this seemingly misfit band of people that God works not by our strength, but by His, to do something that we would not expect ourselves to be capable of. If you don't expect yourself to be capable of doing something for God in this time, of being a witness to the people that are around you about the grace that you have, of raising your kids to know Jesus, of being a kid who grows up to know Jesus and share that grace with others, to be someone who can do something about the prejudice and injustice in our lives and in our world, who can do something about the inequality of our place, hear that God does that not because you have the right degrees, not because you've put in the time, not because you have the connection but just because he loves you. And he loves to do that with people that don't make any sense to do it with. So if you feel like it doesn't make any sense for God to work with me, you are exactly the right person for God to work with. Because this is how God works with his people. That's what this group shows us. But let's also look secondly at what the people, this seemingly misfit group, do with their work. They start to rebuild the whole wall, it seems, side by side. And all credit to Laura, who made an amazing map. Out of nothing, there was something. And that was courtesy of Laura. So thank you, Laura, for helping us follow along. But we saw in that that the people start to form this sort of chain link around the entire city wall. Everyone is linked up, it says in our translation, next to him or next to them worked, next to them worked. But in the original Hebrew, it says something more literally like, at his hand, so-and-so worked. At their hands, so-and-so worked. It gives us this picture of being very close, almost intimately close, side by side, so that out of the corner of your eye, you could see the other people that were working. You could see them making progress. You could see them struggling, trying. You could feel the community working together as one. There was always someone in your periphery who was also trying to do what you were trying to do. There was a group of people becoming something more than just an individual. They were becoming a whole people again. 
No longer scattered as they were in the exile, but brought back together, reconstituted as a people, part of something greater than themselves. Part of regaining even what it meant to be the people of God again. In the place where you could know God personally. Doesn't that give us hope for ourselves that if we feel scattered by, by the exile, the pandemic, that we don't know how to do conversation anymore, right? We've forgotten how to do small talk, how to do life together. Doesn't this give you hope that God is going to bring us back together to be that people again, to be a reconstituted people of God who are something more than just individuals on a mission that's bigger than just I show up to church so that I can feel good about myself, but that I am part of what God is doing in our time to change the hearts and lives of our world. This is what God is doing, teaching us to work together so that we might know that we are not alone. I don't know how many times you felt alone in the pandemic or maybe how much you feel alone right now, but the church is meant to be certainly a place where we are reminded that we are not alone. We are in it together. And part of how God rebuilds Jerusalem is, yes, through unlikely people, but also through unlikely people seeing other unlikely people working to rebuild too. We need that confidence boost. We need that encouragement, that morale boost, because we are constantly going to feel out of our depth. We need to see other people who are equally out of their depth trying, making an effort. We need to see other people who aren't experts in the Christian life either working and trying too. We need to be like my son Cal just started kind of the baseline clinic soccer, right? The beehive soccer. We need to be like the beehive soccer. We are all out there just trying. We're not there standing in the wings, ready to make our run, doing a false nine, whatever it is. We are, we are in that just, I need to see other people that don't know how to do this either. And that it's okay. And that I can learn to do this alongside others who are learning how to do this. We need that permission to not be great and to still try to still work, to still be a part, even though I'm making mistakes. So the challenge of our text along with that seems to be, who are you working next to? Who are you working side by side with for this thing called the Christian life? New members that we brought in today, who will you work side by side with here? Who's that going to be? Visitors. What might it look like to make CTK a home, to work side by side with someone here? Existing members, longtime members, foundational pillar members, who are you working side by side with now? And I know there is a lot of turnover here, and it is hard to keep rebuilding. And I'm not saying that that's not tiring. But who are we working side by side with? And that's not to say by any means that I expect any of you, or even myself, to do it by ourselves, that we have to rebuild the whole thing by ourselves, be the champion. Some of us feel that way. If there's work, I've got to do it all. 
No, because if we look at the text, what happens? Some people repair only a little bit. Verse 23, some folks only repaired right next to their house. That's all they did, little section of the wall. And some people repair a lot. Verse 13, they repaired about 1,000 cubits. That's hard to approximate exactly, but something like 1,500 to 1,750 feet worth of wall. That's a lot of wall. Some repair a little. Some repair a lot. But it's all being covered. Because even the small parts, hear me say this, even the small efforts are important. A gap in that wall would still mean vulnerability. If the entire wall was not repaired, then none of the wall to some extent really mattered because you still weren't safe. In that same way, even the small parts that we play are important to rebuilding what it means to be a community that can really be a refuge, that can really be a place where Jesus is known and where we can know each other through him. We see the people repairing together, side by side, whether great or small, whether important or unimportant, whether skilled or unskilled, whether doing a lot or a little, they are working together to get it all done. So I want to say to you, young and old, kids included, big kids also included, don't underestimate the value of your contribution here. Don't underestimate the importance of you being here. You with all your mistakes, you with all your flaws, you with both your gifts and your weaknesses. The importance of you being here. You are valuable here. I want you to hear me saying that. You are valuable here. God sees you as valuable. There is a place for you here. Don't stiffen your neck like the nobles of verse 5 and refuse the work. Now be humble. Be those who can let others see that you don't have it all together. Be part of the chain, working side by side to rebuild, whether a little or a lot. I want to encourage you to figure out how you are helping to rebuild not only your own Christian life, but the Christian community of our place and the impact of that community on our city. Figure out how you are at least going to start making baby steps towards that within the next three to six months. I talked about this last week about re-entering community. Have a goal of re-entering community in an authentic way in the next three to six months. Also, I want you thinking about in the next three to six months, who am I rebuilding with? Who am I walking side by side with? And you may be on sabbatical from work right now, or you may desperately need a sabbatical, and I want you to have one. But know where is my section of the wall? When I come back to work, if I need a break now, where do I work? Know what your section of the wall is, who you're working with. And if you already have that section figured out, you've got your lane, get to know someone else who is serving here that you don't know, that you don't know what their ministry is like, that you don't know what their, their efforts are about. Share what your service is like. Start linking the chain of who God has made us to be together. We are called to be a community, a body, not just individual Christians who go to our private little cloud in heaven and play a harp, but a community of people linked together, woven together like a tapestry. Because it's a community here that God uses to rebuild, and it will be a community here in our time that God will use to rebuild. 
And so finally, what does this people group and their work reveal? Well, I think what this diverse side-by-side work reveals is that God is, in fact, actually at work among them. We're supposed to see chapter 3 as a direct consequence, as a, as a must kind of reaction that happens after what happens in chapters 1 and 2. It's a, it's a consequence. Some of you all know what this is like in a way that I can only dream of knowing what this is like in the lab. If you do X and Y, something else is going to happen. We are meant to see chapter 1, chapter 2, God is at work, God is at work. Something else is going to happen in that. Chapter 1, God is moving in Nehemiah's heart to mourn and working through that vision that he creates for him to work on the heart of the king. Chapter 2, God is bringing Nehemiah to Jerusalem and using the way that he takes stock and shares the plan to rebuild as someone, someone focused on the problem, not on himself, as a lead up to show us, and even Nehemiah at the end of chapter 2 says, the hand of God has been upon me, this is what God's doing in my life, and the people respond to that in chapter 3. What that's showing us is that people are responding to what God already has been doing, they say, we will move because he has moved. It's God that's moving the people out to do this. He is the first mover. He is putting them on the path, and now he is moving in them. Again, he is using a people not known for construction to do heavy construction. It's meant to show us that God is at work in them, not to hide God's work by using skilled, gifted people and craftsmen, but to show God's work by using people that are unskilled, that are not gifted, that are not craftsmen. We are meant to see through who God chooses that God is actually actually at work rebuilding them in this side-by-side effort. We're supposed to see it as the fruit of God having been and continuing to be at work. Rebuilding the city walls despite a lack of skill or experience, that's God at work. Rebuilding despite having a lot of other things to do and a lot of other priorities, a lot on your plate, that's God at work. All kinds of different people working side by side, the high and the low, the important and the unimportant, men and women, that's God at work. Important people, people without power, people with power, people willing to serve, that's God at work. These things show a picture of God being at work. They reveal what he has been doing, what he is doing, both for them and through them. And this is meant to show us, I believe, that our work, both for our own lives and the lives of our, our community around us, both stems from and flows through God's work that He has already done in our lives. That we are not drawing on some well of individual achievement and greater effort from ourselves. We're drawing on the fact that God has been at work to get you here. He is working on you now and He will keep working on you until He comes back to bring you to glory. Whenever you see someone working for the Lord here, whether that's serving up here on the stage, at the front doors, in the back, in small and great ways, I want you to see that they are serving the Lord because the Lord has already been at work on them. This is not them in their strength. This is God moving in them. Nehemiah moves toward the people in the city of Jerusalem because the Lord has been moving towards Nehemiah. 
The people move towards rebuilding the city because the Lord has been rebuilding the people. They put in the work because God has already been working on them. They are putting the work in because they have been worked on. So this chapter then is not a call to self-improvement. It's not a call to new effort and new energy and just achieving. It's a picture of what happens when someone has already moved in your life. When you've already been changed, when you've already been given something, you respond, you start rebuilding, you move in, you follow the God that has been at work and who will continue to be at work in you even now, despite you even. Not because you have it figured out, not because you had a good week, not because you read your Bible this week, but just because we have a God who loves to be gracious and work with us. So how do we respond then to the work that God is showing us that he did for his people, the work that he is already doing in our lives? We've already talked about it a little bit, but I want to get just a little more specific and give you two things to take home with you. I want to ask you to identify and to neighbor. I'm going to make neighbor a verb this morning if it's not. First, identify a section of the wall, so to speak, a part of the church, part of the church life, part of your Christian life even, where you might start rebuilding. Figure that out. If you don't know where the needs are here, ask. Ask anyone that has been here a long time. Ask Laura. Laura could probably give you a long list of needs that need filling, right? Don't think that just because I don't see a need, there isn't a need. Find out where you can be helping concretely. Make that a project this week that I'm going to ask someone that I'm going to think about, how could I start helping here concretely? Whether I'm gifted in that or not, right? Because again, we need to see people who are not gifted struggling to work so that I, as someone who is not gifted, can struggle alongside you. This needs to be a place for people who don't have all the answers. And if you see needs that aren't identified by us, that aren't something that, that one of us could tell you, whether that's uh, just a one-off need of inviting someone that's new here out to lunch today, inviting them to something after, making them feel welcome, going beyond the hi, nice to see you, but actually leaning in, doing that work, then go for it. Just seize those little moments, the easy opportunities, lean in where God presents an opportunity. And don't do that alone, involve others. And that brings me to the second thing, to neighbor, to, to find a ministry neighbor. Someone that's not working on the same part of the wall that you are, right? Yes, they rebuilt by family groups, and some of them were working with maybe their besties, right? Their best friends. We're just working on this together. But you're also next to people that were not related to each other, that were coming out from the suburbs maybe and getting connected in. Find a ministry neighbor, someone who is not doing what you're doing so that you can see how God is at work in their life, so that you can have a sense of how you might support them and learn about how they are supporting you. Branch out a little bit. Make some new connections. Connect to that person that you have seen here 15 times and you don't know their name. Just take a moment of humility and say, listen, neither of us knows each other's name. And Pastor Travis said that we have to introduce ourselves and start becoming neighbors, so it's his fault, and I apologize, but I'm an introduce you, right? Use me. I can be that for you, right? Introduce ourselves to each other and say, I want to learn what life is like for you here. 
I want to learn how you're, how you're struggling, right? How you're trying to figure out how to use your, your gifts. And maybe we can brainstorm together and, and I can learn from you and you can learn from me. But, but the chain is not a chain around the city. The chain is not a chain here as a community unless it's connected together. Me in my individual lane will not get it done. I will not have the strength and encouragement I need. I will not do the work that I need to do without that side-by-side, one-anothering kind of work. The chain is not a chain if I stay alone. Now is our time to come back, to rebuild, to reconstitute as a people of God because God is able to work with us. God is able to move in us and make us rebuild side-by-side. Let's pray. Let's thank God. We're going to take a few minutes. I'm going to give you time to respond in your own hearts. Thank God for for working even when you don't have the expertise. Maybe confess some of the ways that you have stiffened your neck, that you've resisted rebuilding, working side by side with others. If there's someone you really don't want to work side by side with, confess that. Ask God to show us where we can be at work, to be our strength in it, to move in us. Let's talk to God quietly about these things for a moment. God, thank you that you use us even in our mistakes. Pray that you would continue to work in us despite ourselves, that we might let our flaws be on display, that we might see Jesus. Help us to do that because only you can do that in us, that we might be those who start to work side by side, an arm in arm, a linked together kind of community, made so not by ourselves, but by you. In your name we pray, amen.